Hello, and welcome to episode 16, for real this time, of Q&A Quest. Uh, no, I swear, it, this is really episode 16. Uh, process of elimination, it must yes, be. Yes, it must be. Uh, I am your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels. With me, as always, uh, now a Destiny player. I didn't want to. I didn't want to fall to the curse. The curse came for me. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> yeah, it's David McBurney. Yeah, <laughs> and with us this week, RP Gamers Man Japan, Mr. Michael Baker. Hello, and I'm very thankful I don't have a PlayStation Four at this point. <laughs> I am not stuck in the same morass as these guys. <laughs> hey, you know. Maybe give give it time. I'm not. I don't have an addictive personality. I might leave eventually. Yeah, until year three of Destiny comes out. Anyway, I am going, <laughs> going to drop you into the abyss from whence you came. That's probably for the best. Anyway, we've got a lot of good questions, but we do have a few uh, topics to cover uh, since we have Mike on the show, and. Uh, do we want to talk about Seventh Dragon first, or do we want to talk about Legend of Legacy first? <laughs> do we want to talk about, like, weird psychological hold on Wheels 1, or weird psychological hold on Wheels 2? Well, let's go with the argumentative one first. And yeah. then so that everyone can make up and be friends by the end. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is... Unfortunately, I'm kind of at a disadvantage here because I played Seventh Dragon a while ago. You knew this was going to happen, and you didn't brush back up on it. No, I, I've. If I'm playing a portable game, it's got to be Legend of Legacy right now, since I am trying to clear it for review. So, couldn't give up the time. And plus, it's a really fun game. But we'll get to that. So, Seventh Dragon um, is. In case you're unaware, it's an RPG from uh, Sega and Image Epoch. Are they officially dead now? I think they're officially dead. Quite okay. dead, as in their offices closed down without warning and nobody's quite sure where the president is. Okay, that's That sounds like that's the sort of death that usually involves like, someone showing up in another country a few years later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either that or with concrete boots in the middle of, like, maybe not a harbor or something. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's an, it's an RPG by Sega and Image Epoch involving uh, the original creator of Etrian Odyssey, along with uh, Riko Kodama, creator of Fantasy Star, and it's kind of an interesting mix of, like, the Etrian Odyssey style and, uh, like, the Dragon Quest-type RPG. Um, and yeah, it was, I found it enjoyable enough to play, like, 20 hours in Japanese, and started a run-through with the fans' translation, but unfortunately, distracted by shiny new games. So, um, why don't you just, why don't you just go over what you didn't like about it, Mike? Well, you said you got about 20 hours in. How far did you get in in Japanese, out of curiosity? Um, I remember... It was like the second continent you get to, uh, like a desert type area. I was about to head. I was about to head into like some mountain area where you have to clear. Like uh, I want to say, I remember you have to 
attack like different body parts of a giant or something. I don't remember what the yeah, heck the deal was. A giant dragon known as the Earth. Yes. Yeah, that's well. Um, that's the. How, how many of the other big dragons had you taken out at this point? Because there was the Flame Eater, the Earth, Dreadnought, and Invincible. Or Invisible. Invisible. I'm pretty sure everything available to me to kill, I had. Like, I've been pretty... So you, I've been that's about halfway through the game. Yeah, I was pretty methodical about, like, wiping out the dragons. Um, well, for reference... Kind, kind of disturbing I, when you really think about it. <laughs> you sound like yeah. a genocidal maniac. <laughs> yes. Well, it's the dragon Kista. Um, but, yeah, by the time I actually finished this game, it was pushing 60 hours... And the last 25 were um, almost all battles were done on the exact same battle strategy. Uh, so um, I, I switched out my fourth character regularly. I mean, it wasn't that hard to level up a new character, especially since that one desert dragon nest kept re, re, um, respawning every five hours or so. Mm. But it, in the end, it was usually the same exact strategy to beat everything except these one this one type of dragon in the northern ruins, and that was about it. So do you actually have to get the dragon counter all the way down to zero to beat the game, or...? No, I beat the final boss at 24 on the dragon counter. I'm not quite sure where the rest are left, except okay. it's probably counting the um, New Game Plus challenge area. I gotcha. Because you can fight stronger versions of all the Imperator-class dragons and the final boss and a secret final boss in the bonus area. I'm like, no. <laughs> so is this where I, I make a joke about wheels just liking games with dragon counters in them? Uh, what else had a dragon counter? Oh, Breath of Fire dragon <laughs> yep. counter. Breath of Fire 5 is what he's referring yes. to. Dragon counter. So yeah, this is the game where at, um, even from the very beginning, even before the dragons show up, you can see a bar next to the map screen with the number 666 under it. <laughs> and um, as it turns out, that's the total number of dragons in the game. You know, I hope you like genocide. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, the dragons it... really love genocide. That's the problem. <laughs> that, um, they, um, this is, I mean, you know how a lot of the Dragon Quest games have those purple swamp areas that damage you when you walk through them? Oh God! <laughs> About seventy to ninety percent of the entire world mass, a uh, world um, area, land area, water area, every area in the game is like that, because they've been planting these magical red flowers all over the place that are basically terraforming the planet. Um, Fun. Dracoforming. I'm reminded of why I didn't play this game and thus have no stake in this argument. <laughs> so I. I didn't have that much problems with it because I didn't try to stomp down every single flower I found. I just went strategic and went through basic and created basic paths for myself. And yeah, they only really regenerate on the far northern continent anyway. So, so it sounds like this game just wears out its welcome after a while. Is that about well, accurate? Long time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, equipment issues. Um, you know how you could sell item uh, monster parts. To yes. Make money and also to help fund development of new items. Well, for example, my mages for a. Well, the, there was a particular equipment drop from some of the dragons in the samurai area cave um, that was the best 
that was the best rod my mages had for 20 hours. Ooh. I mean, till well after the halfway point of the game when I finally, finally got the parts together to get them a better rod that boosts magic better. Then, um, that just sounds tragic. <laughs> yeah. And then, for quite a long time, my best armor was a hauberk that I'd found in the treasure chest in one level for my knight. And I was looking, really looking forward to getting this new knight armor that I could see on the item list. I just hadn't got all the parts for it. But when I finally did get them, it turned out to be the hauberk. Nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, I'm not quite sure, but this was at least five to ten hours after I'd actually found the thing. Wow. And then... Yeah. Um, that is then like last, some sort of tragic comedy. <laughs> yeah. Then the last I um, the last item I bothered to get on this because I could never find the the bonus level in Lost Tokion that supposedly had the rest of the bits I needed. Um, but the last equipment item I was able to research required like six longhorn dragon horns. It was from a a side level that you couldn't even get into if your party wasn't at least level fifty. They would not let you in. Um, plus, another six or seven flaming wings, which you had to get from monsters on the northern continent or final level. Um, so they were off, obviously pretty tough. And then ten water crystals, which could either be found like at a 10% chance from gathering spots in the volcano, or a bit more common in that same level with the Longhorn Dragons. And when I finally got this item called the Noble Tunic. I had bought it 20 hours before on the black market. My mage and healer had been wearing it the entire time. <laughs> okay. They did not have anything, nothing, with better um, defense. This sounds I mean, indescribably tedious and also screw you wheels. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, my princess had a slightly better item on her, thank goodness. And as it turns out, this one whip that I found in the volcano I think it was called the Dead Rose was actually a lot better than the next two replacements I could have gotten because even though it had a lower lower attack power it boosted her life and mana by 20 each yeah so I just kept that on her the um, things we've learned go ahead in any case I mean by the for for my end strategy the princess was mainly um singing songs to boost everybody, healing occasionally, and once the damage got too high, she started using Retribution. Nice. So, Retribution at max, I was, I was hitting up to seven or 800 damage on the final boss with the princess um, whenever her hit points were down to 100 or less. Wow. And that particular attack ignores monster defense. <laughs> so, when... Whenever the whenever everything was aligned properly, she was hitting harder than anybody else on the team. Wow. I just had to make sure she didn't get killed at the same time. I feel and, like what I learned from this is that mm -hmm. you shouldn't put things in your like weird, bizarre system that are worse than the things you find outside. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and so for the final boss, the first form of the final boss is actually pretty easy because, as it turns out, um, he must, like, obsessively debuff you every time you have a buff on. And my princess, my princess was slower than he was. So all I had to do was have her sing every single round, and he wasted most of his attacks. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> no buffs for you. His second form was not nearly so nice, since it had, like, like, out of its seven or eight 
major attacks. Five of them were hit all. <laughs> and, oh, and it keeps getting better. It keeps getting better. One of them, one of these attacks had a chance to curse your entire party. Um, yeah. Um, one of them, you had to basically keep guessing for which elemental defense to have your knight use. And it's nastiest attack that only pulled out once in a while. My knight usually survived this. Nobody else did. And so I was really happy that I had not used a single one of those cure everything potions for the entire game up to this point because I didn't really have any left by the end. <laughs> so I, I've learned something and, today. And my, I, checked before, um, I checked right before this. My character levels were knight 65, healer oh 63, mate 62, princess 61. So, and this was with all dragons prior to this completely killed, and the ones that do respawn at this point were not giving much more. Um, we're actually giving less experience than, than the mobs in the final level. And this, we're talking like maybe a thousand, just over a thousand experience for the bigger mobs in the final level, and five digits of experience point requirements for the next level. So. Um, I think what I've learned here today is that it we are incredibly blessed that this guy is no longer working on the Etrian Odyssey series. <laughs> I know from what I've heard, the Etrian series seems to be a much better balanced than this thing was. Uh, yeah, and the if we talk about the one game he worked on, that certainly had some balance issues. So, ah, oh, okay, yeah. See, I don't really know much about this guy, but yeah, I mean, this is a game where. It, on the technical side, you have some major balance issues with the amount of stuff you have to get through versus the amount of reward that you get for it. On the story side, um, even pretty early on, I had to wonder, why was my party so special that they were the ones destined to save the world? Because there were two other hero groups, NPC groups, and like the leader of this one group uh, was actually... at. In one of the side stories, he's actually suffering depression because he's just not good enough compared to my guys. <laughs> I'm well, serious here. That's awesome. <laughs> and, but the, the point I'm making is that no major plot point in this game directly involved any of my characters. They were just kind of standing by while... Um, oh, did you see the Thousand Man Cannon? No. The Emperor of Kitty Land takes it upon himself that one, um, I think once you beat in, um, Imperator Invincible, the Flying Dragon, that's the official halfway point of the game, and the final boss shows up, um, taunting everybody from the top of the big tower on the northern continent, and so the Emperor of the Kitty People decides to hit him back. And so he uses this ancient weapon that has been entrusted to his people called the, the Thousand Man Cannon. It's up in the north, over by the mine. You might have seen it. You weren't allowed to go in. Yeah. Um, but it's it's one of the ancient artifacts that was used to fight the dragon's previous incursion on the planet, back when it was still called Earth, apparently. And um, it's powered by 1,000 people who climb in and act as batteries. <laughs> the emperor the and 1,000 of his citizens sacrifice themselves to create a massive cannon blast to try and knock the dragon, um, the uh, 
uh, well, he, he's one of the seven dragons, the top guys of the horde, which is where the title is supposed to get its, um, where the game is supposed to get its title from. Um, but it manages to damage him quite a bit, but it doesn't kill him. Interesting. Uh, so, wow. like, when you talk to all the kitty people in the Imperial City, half of them are dealing with survivor guilt right now. <laughs> so, um, but, again, you have absolutely nothing to do with this. So, oh. I mean, you see all of these wonderful cutscenes, all these interesting things going on, and you have zero connection to any of it. Well, it seems like this may be a case of uh, the game that seemed like a tragedy we didn't get. It's it's all cool. It's cool. And Everything's fine that. like wine. And then there was... Well, let's talk about a different game. I think you were kind of lukewarm about this one, and I just reviewed it, and I really loved it. Beyond the Labyrinth. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was lukewarm about it. Uh, I just... It's kind of hard to play in Japanese. Yeah, so I, I, haven't, say, I think I haven't it was really more that he couldn't read it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually thought it was really cool how the game started. Like, I fired up the game, and I'm like, um, is it, did I did, did I just turn on a portable, like, NES or something? What the heck is going on? <laughs> yes, that was my reaction, too, when I started. <laughs> yeah, because, like, everything, including, like, the little icon that shows up on the 3DS is all, like, super retro. Mm -hmm. And then you get about five to ten minutes into the prologue area after learning how to use the battle system, and then you get to the point where I, I linked a video into the review and it's, it starts from that point right after everything goes haywire in the, in the not quite eight bit game. <laughs> and you have this girl just kind of appearing in the static and tapping on your screen. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is very cool. But yeah, I was super interested in that game because it was done by the, uh, the same director as, uh, um, why am I drawing a blank on the name of this game? Resonance of Fate. You know, I thought the the girl looked kind of like the characters in Resonance of Fate. Um, the similar art style. Did, yeah. Did Aniko do the art style in Resonance of Fate? I'm not sure. I think it was Kaneko who did it on this one. But yeah, um, but yeah, when I when I describe the graphics, at least for the girl especially, as like rivaling some PlayStation Three titles. I'm not joking here. Really? Um, wow. I mean, in the credits, in the credits, they give. I mean, they give special credits to a motion capture studio and actress. Hmm. For example, um, I mean, just it's. I mean, for a game that was developed within the first year of the 3DS, it is, um, yeah, surprisingly nice in nice. many ways. Even though I. Even though, I mean, I even admit in the review that a lot of this is simply because of the way, I mean, it's like a, an example of the director knowing the limitations of what he's trying to do here and working really well with it. So like, okay, we only have one actual human character in need of any realism in this entire game. <laughs> Let's make her as nice looking as possible. Smart. Yeah. Logical. It's a real shame that game never came stateside, but wasn't that wasn't that published by Konami? Yes, it was published by Konami. Yeah. By Ice. So David, did you ever see the video? See the video? Hmm? I don't think I saw this. Um, well, got 
It's I linked it in the first um, paragraph of the review, so check it out sometime. Yeah, let me go check that. About and it's really nice. Nice. That was one of those games that I like held out hope would get localized for a very long time and then forgot about at yeah. some point. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mentioned this a couple times in the last week too, but it's kind of surprising we never got this one because again, it was it was a first year release for the 3DS, and there were not that many RPGs for it. In <laughs> no, there really yeah. were not. Um, so it's like you would think that Nintendo would want them to bring it over just to have something really nice on the thing. 3DS. And it seems like that might be something that uh, someone like Exceed or something would want to bring over, too. But yeah. I mean, the only real issue I could think of would be the need to completely dub over all of the girls' voice acting. And the final boss is voice acting, but he doesn't have nearly as many lines. Yeah. So there probably isn't a good reason. <laughs> I would imagine, if, if I can think of anything, it's that because, like... When it came out, the 3DS was really struggling, and by the time that it was no longer struggling, there was more software. Mm-hmm. It still does not answer the question of why nobody's tried to bring it over yet. Yeah. Yeah, at this point, it's probably just because people kind of forgot about it, and, like, wrangling the contract would be irritating. <laughs> Which is tragic, because, you know, I love Trace, and I would try this sight unseen, even if I wasn't hearing that it's also really good. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember one, one complaint I've heard a lot about Tri-Ace is that they sometimes get a little too much into complicating the battle system. But this time, it really worked quite well. Um, I mean, there, um, it's like, oh, man, I, yeah, I didn't see him. What did I talk about? Okay, I'm assuming nobody's going to be reading the review. So, uh, <laughs> But the, the entire point is that, I mean, it's a first-person dungeon crawler. But instead of character classes, you have colors for, like, red is fire, water is blue, green is wind. And so it's got this basic rock, paper, scissors thing going on. But it does other things, like if you ever hit something's weak weakness for color, all of its hit points go up to the top of the screen, and the next thing, if it's even, um, no matter which side it's on, which, the first thing that uses that color again gets all that health back. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it pays to sometimes depower your attacks to the point where you can arrange it so that one of your guys gets the next attack for the right color. And things get really good when you get the defensive ability in around the fourth zone of the game, where you can um, tap on on party icons to put them into defense mode, and it takes them out of turn order. Nice. Which, um, it not only shields the girl from damage... It helps her regenerate if the defending character's hit point percentage is higher than hers. And, again, it lets you really mess with the turn order. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, going into the final boss battle, I was like, oh crap, this thing's got 99,999 hit points. And <laughs> it's, got, it's got three shielding um, cohorts. I mean, just the literal magic shields one of each color, that I cannot take out completely with one hit. On the other hand, first, I can mess with turn turn order, he can't. Second, I've got like 
50 color changing items by this point <laughs> and 50 plus times changing items so I can change how much my characters can charge up the girl's magic attack <laughs> at will. Oh, God. This guy did not stand a chance. <laughs> it, it took a while, but after six or seven hits from the girl where she had charged up to 14,000 hit points of damage without him having any shields because I kept taking him down. Um, yeah. Yeah, he died. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, sounds like I, it. But it was still really hectic because I had to keep swapping characters in and out of defense mode and just um, sometimes I had to intentionally keep the girl's damage level let down because I knew that she was going to be hitting the shields next round. Uh, and, I, and I didn't want her wasting too much damage on the shields because I knew anything would take them down at this point. So, yeah. <coughs> well, damn. Yeah, yeah that's... Well, and, like, that that always hurts me, because, like, Tri-Ace is one of those companies that, like... I, I really respect their idea that they never just think, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. It's like, make something crazy, and a lot of times that doesn't necessarily work, but, I mean, this time it sounds like it worked really well. Yeah. I mean, and we missed I mean, it. What kind of person do you have to be to, to like, play through ICO five or ten times and think, you know, this would be really cool as a dungeon crawler? <laughs> Sold! <laughs> In many ways, that is how it works. Oh, uh, that hurts. Oh. This is now Sadness Cast. Hello, and welcome to Sadness Cast. <laughs> Where we lament tragedies the world over. Well, why don't we pivot into a non-tragedy in a game that I didn't think we were going to get in Legend of Legacy. Oh, man. oh yeah, I was pretty. I was thinking we might get it, but I reviewed it anyway back in January because, or February because, you know what? I really liked it. Well, the one hope was that Atlas said and I think some other companies too had been bringing over games from that company. What's their name? For, for you, yeah. So there was a sliver of hope, but yeah, there's a couple of Foodie U titles that have been coming that have been trickling over the past few. Months. But we never got the second Unchained Blades Blades game, and I do not blame them for that. <laughs> yeah, no, we were saved from the second Unchained Blades. Eventually, I should finish that game just to review it, but no. I mean. My reaction to this, to Legend of Legacy's announcement last October, about a year ago now, was first, oh, oh great, another Legend, another Furyu game, okay, not going to get this one, then, oh, I might as well look at the trailer, and then, like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I remember yes. when you were on here last, you had, like, a very, like, uh, aside from Legend of Legacy, a pretty dismissive thought process on as it, when it came to Furyu games. Yeah, eventually I'm going to try X-Tetra uh, once the price gets down bo below 1,000 yen for resale. So, just because yeah, I'm thinking, the kissing RPG, I really just need to see it. <laughs> yeah, that can, sounds... Can, just, can I just go back and play Tulip again? <laughs> oh, man, I'm looking at their uh, full catalog. Yeah, uh, Legend of Legacy. Uh, yeah, that's the good one. <laughs> I don't know how much, how many former Square Enix people are involved, but... It um, I know that I made a list at some point. Let's see. Um, which... Let's say this one. Um, where... 
which column did I main for the list? Okay, well, there's... Oh, my wedding pictures. Hello. Uh, <laughs> That's so nice. So, okay, there's Stella Glow. Mac Hygiene. There we go. Um, oh, that's the second thing I time I talked about it. So let's back up the previous column and October second apparently. Um, there we go. Sound in the Furia. <laughs> uh, okay, that was. Hey, I, I got to come up with fun fun names for some of these. Okay, so we had Tomomi Kobayashi, who is the illustrator and design character design for the entire saga series. She's for the saga series, she's like um, Yoshitaka Amano for Final Fantasy. Ah. So that was that was what first caught my eye because it's like, wait a moment, I recognize the style. Yeah, it's very distinct. And, and see, the main game designer was Kyoji Koizumi, who he helped make Romancing Saga two and three, and then the Saga Frontier games and Unlimited Saga. Uh, composer is Hamauzu, who started with PlayStation era Saga games. Um, for that series. Yeah. Uh, under background design, we had Masayo Asano, who worked on Romancing Saga Minstrel Song, Unlimited Saga, Final Fantasy X, and Legend of Mana. And the other background designer, uh, Misako Tsutsui, um, was credited with stuff for Final Fantasy Tactics, Super Mario RPG, and probably a few others I couldn't locate at that time. And uh, see, the character designer for just in-game Ryo Hirao worked on Final Fantasy XII and Brave Fencer Musashi. And the project director used to work on the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games. (laughs) So he's (laughs) the the one I could not find any Square Enix connection for. Everybody else, I'm like... Wow. Wow. Oh, hey. It's like, Dream Team. Yeah, seriously. And just come on, just come on down to this new building that is suspiciously similar to the old building, and we'll build the same old game but with a different name. Well, and, and, this, and this is why I am really disappointed with Square Enix and their newest saga game, because it took how like seven, eight, nine months before they even gave it a name after yeah. it existed. Yeah, Saga Scarlet and, Grace. Yeah, and we've bar- we have not seen anything beyond a bunch of art. And even then, for the first four months, it was like two pieces of art. And I'm looking over here at Furyu, and it's like, okay, Furyu just poached some of your best talent for the series. Yeah, seriously. At the end of September, they they started posting news about this, and then by January, they had it in stores. Now, just like... I'm like... Now, just... what, What makes that even better is that wasn't the Saga game supposed to be like the anniversary game? Yes! And yes. I'm still waiting for them to do a Romancing Saga 2 remake. <laughs> that, like, that's what I initially assumed that the game was. Well, and didn't they, didn't they call it... I know. Didn't they call it for a while, maybe this is a nickname, Saga 2015? Yeah, that was for a while, the, that was what that was, was thought of. That was the project name. Okay. That, that's the only name we knew it by for nine months. <laughs> yeah, like, when they initially announced it, I just assumed, oh, it's probably Romancing Saga 2. But apparently like, that's I not the case. It wasn't just because I'd seen the one piece of art that they'd given, and that was, did not match anybody in Romancing Saga 2, and I think they also said it was a new game. In the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, like, assumed that new game was often used pretty loosely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, if it were a remake, they, um, then Kawazu, um, Kawazu would have been really loud about that because he was for the last few. Yeah. Um, well, the Romancing Saga 1 remake was pretty darn good, so... Yeah. <laughs> 
considering Romancing Saga, the original was missing like 30% of its original content. As, as is tradition and, with Saga games. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it, it was... Uh, yeah, it, it was incomplete by Saga standards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, so, yeah, it was about the same level of incompleteness as Saga Frontier. But at oh, the same time, also had, I mean, it was on a first-generation Super Famicom cartridge with graphics that really did not qualify as 16-bit. <laughs> it's like, we and, hastily upconverted this from an NES game. <laughs> yeah. And even then, we did not have enough room on the cartridge to do everything we wanted to. Whoops. And then, I mean, like, I think it was 2005, I was walking through Yodabashi Camera in, in Hakata, Japan, and I saw the video. I'm like, wow, this looks cool. Wait, this looks familiar. Wait, that's a light bulb. <laughs> that's a light bulb. <laughs> that's a light bulb. Three and a half months later, I walk into the store, I buy the game and a PlayStation 2. Now I'm just like when I when I was playing the Legend of Legacy demo and someone actually sparked a new move. I was like, "Wow, they were they were not being shy about where this came from." <laughs> no, no light bulb. I think you noticed, but I don't think. Yeah, was. but it was like it was in everything but the light bulb. It was yeah. sparking a move. Yes. But one one thing I I like legally about... distinct from sparking. One thing I like about this game, it, it seems like they were very cognizant of, like, I don't know, either their budget or just development limitations, and that the game doesn't really feel like it's trying to do too much or anything. It feels very contained and well put together, I guess would be the best yeah. way to describe Carefully it. Carefully designed. Yeah. I was say, that again is like saga tradition. I mean, yes, we have some of the extreme cases where crap, we can't fit everything on the game and they won't let us get a second disc or expand to a better cartridge. But then you have stuff like Final Fantasy Legend 2 where it's like, yeah, we realize we cannot put a full story on a, the cartridge this size and do the game we want, so let's get by with the minimum level of story required and work with that. Man, it's a product of understanding well. one's limitations. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike unlike Final Fantasy Legend Three, which did try to have some sort of story in there and completely failed because of the same. <laughs> yeah. Much less carefully designed. <laughs> yeah, different group too. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even though I love Mystic Quest, this was still your screw up to have Mystic Quest team. <laughs> Hopefully, Max Storm isn't listening to this part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, you might lure him on to debate you. Yeah, I mean, I believe his main argument for why Final Fantasy Legend 3 is better is because it has the more Final Fantasy-style leveling system, which kind of misses the point. Yeah. But again, it was never actually advertised as a saga game, and nobody really understood that kind of thing. So. I still I still love, like, apparently there's, uh, like, early, early advertising material uh, before uh, Final Fantasy Legend 1 was released, where, like, you can see very early ad material that refers to it as the Great Warrior Saga. <laughs> yeah. That's one possible translation for the game. Not very good. But, yeah, it's um, not very good, but I mean, it was Square in 1989, so... Yeah, 89. Is that game? Is it that old? I feel old. Yes. I feel old. I still. That's, that's, that's what talking I, about a series that just led to. So. Especially that's, that's what talking about a series that just missed yeah. its 25th anniversary is going to do to you. Well, and 25 I, years, a quarter of a century. I still have that cart too. Just. I've got I've got three carts: one DS, two 
um, Game Boy in two different languages. Nice. And nice. if I really wanted to, the the uh, used book and game store visible from my balcony has um, Saga 2, Kiho Densetsu, Game Boy game, in the box. Nice. Oh, man. Do you... If anybody wants to, I do take commissions. <laughs> now, do you have What's the... your finder's fee? Did you say if you have the Wonderswan version or not? I could never find that because um, you know, Wonderswan version of the Saga, first... original Saga, and of Romancing Saga. Yes. I mean, any RPG um, for the Wonderswan that was released was usually limited release by the system standards. And so we're talking like between forty and seventy dollars. Oh, between forty and seventy copies. <laughs> We're ever yeah, manufactured. I, that's one reason why I've never played the Atelier game for Wonderswan is because <laughs> I don't feel like paying seventy dollars for it. Well, I, I actually managed to get both of those for a decent price off of eBay. Although I don't have, I don't actually have a Wonderswan, but I did pick those I up. I do, but it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> that that does not sound like an unusual story for Wonderswan. <laughs> Yeah, they're not the hardiest of handouts. <laughs> so, oh, man. No, certainly not the Game Boy. <laughs> now I'm just staring longingly at the uh, DS Saga 2 yeah, and just well, sort of like cursing the fact that I cannot possibly justify such a purchase. That reminds <laughs> me, I need to finish the stream, streaming the uh, Wonderswan version. Yeah, it's, the that's fan translation. You failed miserably. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. And then after that, Destiny. you stream another Saga game. Yeah, I was... Um, no, I can't say what I was going to do because that would ruin the surprise. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, talk about it after the show. All right. Um, so, do we have any other thoughts on Legend of Legacy before we move on to our actual questions? I don't have many thoughts because well, I haven't played anything more than the demo yeah, because well, I am very uh, broke. <laughs> just as a nice as a benefit to anybody who's listening and may eventually get to the final boss, and you're thinking, how in the world am I going to beat the second form of the sucker? Um, please be aware that counterattacks work really, really well against him. I'm like, yeah, incredibly well against him, and you're probably going to die if you don't have a good counterattack. Let's just leave it at that. All right. This is public I'm service. storing that away in my brain for future use. Yes. Also, public service announcement, don't look at low review scores and just write the game off. Try the demo. Mm -hmm. Give it a chance. Demos data transfers to the final game. Why wouldn't you just do that? Yeah. Give it a try. Um, also, remember the thing that says quick save functions as a regular save. Yes, and if you... Yes, yes. If you are one of the ones uh, scarred by Unlimited Saga, just a reminder that that... That was atypical by yes, Saga standards. Yes, yes. Even is, by Saga standards, yes. it was a very niche game. Yes. This is your... your uh, Regular public service announcement, uh, not to and judge things based on unlimited not saga. Not going to this game expecting a big story because it does not have a big story. Yes. And even the positive reviews, like mine, have gone on to say that it does not have a very big story. Do not be let down by this. Yes. Do not be let down by something the game was never trying to be. Yes. But yes. but also I should note that I don't feel like, at least so far, uh, that the game it's really the type of game where you're going to get lost and just wander around a lot. It's designed in such a way that it's pretty easy to figure out where to go. Just explore and you'll figure things out. 
The game is so against the idea of you getting lost that it encourages you to map out 100% every single area you walk through. Yeah. <laughs> and then sell the map back for massive profit. Yep. Yeah. Big money, big prizes. Everyone loves profit. Alright. Alright, so... I... We're going to get to our first question, and you should hear some Legend of Legacy music. It's probably uh, very pretty. Yes. <laughs> All right. Alright, so our first question is from someone totally not on the show right now. Very mysterious pr- gentleman. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Well, it's been a long time since I wrote anything in, isn't it? I've lost count of the number of letters I pieced together in my head on the walk home from work, only to forget about them once I actually sat down in front of the computer. My apologies. Do you remember that crazy video game con- concept concept? Ugh. Wow, I can't concept talk. Concept contest. Thank you. <laughs> We had going for a while the Zelda-themed Monster Hunter clone. Oh my God! Oh, those <laughs> are so great. Yes. In case <laughs> glad you remember. Yes. In case anyone doesn't remember, this was a whole thing we had going in uh, the 2009, old 2009. Yeah, 2000. in the old Q and A column, we had some crazy theme concepts. Concepts where you know people came up with really cool ideas. So I think I think we're gonna have to come up with another one. Um, Sometime soon. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we find should... a way to work it into the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see, we should do that again. Maybe make it a podcast or something. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to think of some ideas and we'll go from there. But the actual question. Okay. Okay. But a real question for you now. My dear lovely wife is a big fan of Project One Way, the fashion design reality TV show. So I've seen most of about six, what, really, six seasons of if it's... reality TV shows are really cheap. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> of it piecemeal over the course of the last two years. Not sure if you've seen any of it or not, but they've done some interesting theme challenge in the last few seasons. So here it is: If Project Runway were to do a video game inspired competition, in which six companies should be chosen to represent the industry, and which one game or series from each would be used for inspiration? Your man in Japan, guy, totally not on the podcast right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take the cheating route and say that Square Enix has already done Final Fantasy fashion shows. Have they really? <laughs> There's like freaking like the, these were crazy when I saw them and I was very confused by them. But like it was it was actually the reverse of what you're thinking because it was just like actual fashion like nonsense mo- like pasted onto Final Fantasy character models. I saw like a bizarre what looked like a fan Photoshop of lightning and it's like, no, that's official. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so I think Square Enix would definitely have to be represented here. Oh, yeah, that and I mean, like Final but Fantasy is already kind of half fashion obsessed anyway. Yeah. But... So which game? Yeah... Um, I would say do a saga theme. Screw Final Fantasy. 
Yes! Yes, I can look like red in the official art with its baffling sort of half of the oh, Sentai. I, I would go with Romancing Saga Minstrel Song. Either that or Unlimited Saga just for just for giggles. Yeah, just for kicks. <laughs> I mean, because well, just I mean, for kicks is why I'm going with red, because he looks ridiculous. True. But, I mean, all the bad things you can say about Unlimited Saga, and you can say a lot of them, Interesting and wonderful characters design is not one of the, the minuses. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Is it, did either of you actually finish any of the storylines in Unlimited Saga? Uh, I tried. I really tried. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I had the fortitude. Um, I tried really hard too, but unfortunately, I played this thing in Japanese. Yeah. Oh boy. And, I mean, if you think it's obtuse and difficult to work through in your own language, oh man. Um, <laughs> In another language, oh boy! Can't I did learn imagine. any new and interesting kanji along the way. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, game has like a high, like a high school level or higher kanji level. Okay, but yeah. So okay, so got Square Enix and sure why not Unlimited Saga. Uh, I'm gonna go with Sega, and mm -hmm. go with Resonance of Fate as the game slash series used here, because that game specifically had uh, a whole feature based around dressing up your characters and different stuff that had no impact whatsoever on gameplay. It was yeah, I just, think I went through the entire game without remembering it existed. Yeah, it was just, you know, dress up the characters and whatever cool things you find. So I'm, I'm remembering in um, Beyond the Labyrinth, the third magic that the girl gets, she's like, oh, it said, on the panel here it says... Um, it says transformation magic. Maybe I can do this. Okay, Henshin, and nothing happens. Henshin, go go, baby. And as it turns out, it's only an option to change her wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> it has absolutely. That's what I do no every morning. I get up and transform into my work clothes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So okay. So sure. Why not? Resonance of fate. Okay. Yeah. That's that's got some interesting clothing designs. More. Close to you know your typical real life stuff, but still, fashiony. You can uh, still make an abomination if you try. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what else has some? I would say Gust with any Atelier game, just because that series defines the concept of uh, costume porn. <laughs> yeah, those things go crazy, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And plus, I mean, for a plus side, most of the time the heroines' costumes in that series are reasonably not too crazy. <laughs> most of the time, some of the, some of the games in the series have gone really out there, but most of the time they're actually pretty well, renaissance normal. Ren well, yeah, I think they saved... They look like something you could wear to a Ren fair and not get laughed at. I think G yeah. Gus saved most of their smut for the Artanelico series. Artanelico went crazy, <laughs> and by the third time it was just like, what if they were taking off their clothes? <laughs> Yeah, by the third game, they just lost any sense of, like, pretense. It's just like, yeah, this is what this game is. Yeah. Don't even pretend you're surprised. <laughs> okay, so that's three three companies in game series so far. Okay, what's next? Uh, it's hard, because there's, like, so many different Square Enix series you can go into, but... Nope. Yeah. No, we're only we just doing one. Yeah, we're doing one per... I know, one. I know. Okay, so how about Konami... We do a Square and an NX. Konami and Metal Gear. Oh, man. Uh, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. N Trust need like to have some boss. variety in here. Oh, man. 
I dress Big Boss pretty ridiculously in various parts of MGS5. So kind of <laughs> Alright. Um, stunning chicken hat. Uh, so what could we do from Atlas? I mean, obviously there's the per well, Persona series. Just modern age, so yeah. I don't like that. Well, but I mean, it would, the, it would... One of the more cyberpunk-looking ones. You don't like uh, it, but that would fit... Emblem, Fire but, Emblem Cross... Shin Megami Tensei, whatever the actual title is now. Gene Ibunroku. <laughs> yeah. The the one with the crazy idol stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's already halfway bathing in fashion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, plus they they look kind of endearingly insane. So I'm kind of for that. There you go. Uh, my other option would have been something crazy, like one of the cyberpunk-looking ones, just to go with, like, <laughs> what does fashion look like when all fashion has been destroyed? <laughs> okay, uh, the Nocturne. Nocturne. Shirtless and tattoos for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me think. What could we get from Nintendo? Oh, man. We just have you could have everybody dress up as squids. <laughs> Splatoon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. The latest in fashion squid. Uh, who, uh, what else? How many is that now? That's five, I think. So we've almost reached our We've almost quotient. reached our intended goal. Yes. Oh... Who haven't yeah, we touched that? Staring here? at my shelf. Something from. The problem is that you get a lot of things that like they they're kind of silly looking, but they're oh. not silly looking enough to be interesting. I got a good one, marvelous, and a certain oh. and a certain series of theirs. Zenran Kagura. Yep. That's the one. I don't think they. Just got thinking about that because of the X Seed event. On that show. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I don't think they've got any models with those proportions on the show. That is a fair point. So I don't. Th we probably can't use that one. And now I'm just thinking of marvelous series, and I'm like, you can't make Harvest Moon make this work. <laughs> Rustic Feature fashion. <laughs> Featuring designs from Innocent Life, a futuristic Harvest Moon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't do think something. anyone played that. I know I didn't. I did not. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't really gotten into any of the Harvest Moons that did not have hacking and slashing. Uh, Meaning, I, I like. I like Rune Factory. Let's put it that way. They're they're once in a very great while sorts of games for me. Uh, so, what about any Falcon games? Do they have any interesting fashion? Well, then you're just getting into like. Oh. Uh, Huh? Lots, yeah. In the uh, Legend of Heroes series? That's one. I mean, I'm thinking like Zwei. Oh, yeah. I always forget. <laughs> I, I always forget about Zwei. Zwei. And then there's Zwei too. Yeah. It should have been um, Dry or Veer. Yeah. No, this is Zwei too. <laughs> Just go for it. Alright, guys. Uh, okay. Remember people in Brandish dressing kind of silly. Um, Here's Tokyo Xanadu, as Mike Tokyo just said. Tokyo Xanadu is just normal clothing. <laughs> and also needs to come out in English, please. Thank you. Tokyo Xanadu. But until then, you have to dress like a Fazanadu character. 
<laughs> I really wish I knew what Tokyo Xanadu was actually about, but I mean, I, I've I looked at it and it looked like if someone Fal tried to impersonate action RPG. <laughs> Falcon makes some really cool fighting, but they don't really do the demo very well for selling the game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm just hacking and slashing through demons. Okay, I've got to switch characters occasionally for elemental reasons, but why am I doing this? <laughs> really? Yeah. I have absolutely pretty... no idea what's going on. <laughs> I mean, at least with Seventh Dragon 3, which is much better than the first, um, um, I actually got to see the lead into the game, um, um, got to see how it works from the very beginning, and had a great time. By the way, let's I hope just that appreciate one. that Seventh Dragon much... Three is Seventh Dragon Four. <laughs> oh no, it's it's the same way. Like Persona Two has two halves. Yeah, That's... yeah. It's like how Persona Three should be Persona Four because Persona Two is two games. Yeah. So for Seventh Dragon, Seventh Dragon Two is two games: twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two. So which okay. is not twenty twenty two; it's twenty twenty dash two. I I yes. Yeah, confusing. Um. So, so do those did do the do those games connect back to the first one at all? Oh yeah. Okay, so there were there is um, an actual story connection. Yeah, and if you, um, yeah, there's an area that you go to in uh, Seventh Dragon One, where it suddenly becomes very obvious that Eden, the planet you're on, is actually far future Earth. Ah, so what you're telling me is. The Etrian oh Odyssey gosh. guy basically uh, reused the twist uh, from the original Etrian Odyssey. I've never oh, played Etrian Odyssey, oh, so I cannot say. Uh, yeah, so spoilers for the original Etrian Odyssey. When you get to the bottom of the, the dungeon, you're you're basically in Tokyo. It was Tokyo! Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that they kind of reused part of it from Shin Megami Tensei 4. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> oh my gosh. I was but yeah, that's that's the twist with Etrian Odyssey. Uh, Oh, yep. love, and I love. think I think that's been out enough that I'm okay spoiling that. Statue yeah. limitations. Yeah. And for for fun, um, Seventh Dragon Three includes travel to the past world of Atlantis and the future world of Eden, which happens to be the world of Seventh Dragon One. <laughs> Gee, <laughs> I wonder how this will fit together. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, I was trying to figure this out, and then I played through Seventh Dragon One and thought, thought you know what, this makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> so this sounds really cool, but it also sounds like someone might have no interest in localizing it because it may not make much sense without the other games. Yeah, I feel like that's never stopped anyone. <laughs> that's that's a fair point. Okay. okay, so do we have any other letters? We do. We have plenty. All right. It's been talking over an hour now, and yes, we've got right. two. Two, one, yes. one. All right. Oh, just just time to make an announcement. The um the final boss of Legend of Legacy has just died. Woohoo! Wow, yeah. rip. Yep. Yeah. All right. Rest in pieces. All right. So let's move on to our next question.
So let's move on to our next question, which uh, these are more questions from Frank Grizzly. We uh, started reading part of his uh, letter of questions last week. Uh, so this question is, what's the show's opinion on games that re heavily rely on FAQs? You know how much Phil from the Backtrack hates them. Some games require them just to complete it all. Some require them to properly build and spec characters. Some only require them for post-game. Where do you think the line is drawn when it becomes tedious and not fun? Uh, somewhere this side of Unlimited Saga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... And Limited Saga had the problem that its own manual didn't really explain anything. Yeah. And then it compounded That's if you were it lucky having, enough to have it. <laughs> then it compounded it by having enough crazy subsystems with so much complexity that the basic FAQ on GameFAQs is, I'm not quite sure how many hundred pages long. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, okay, that's, that's exaggerating a bit, but it's a really comprehensive FAQ and it is really long. Yeah, I, I've watched some really good tutorial videos on YouTube. Um, I remember watching, I think it's like a two-part video just to explain how to get magic. And after watching that, when I went to play, I was still, like, lost. Anybody who complained about how tedious it is to actually learn magic in Legend of Legacy... Yeah, no, shush. Has shush. <laughs> It has been and I really don't think that it's tedious in there at all. You just got to keep using it and yep. yeah. and hope that it sparks the yeah. same way that the weapon attacks do. Yeah, just a brief aside about that. Uh, a funny story that happened to me in uh, a battle recently was I was trying to have a character heal another character. Oh, no. And for yes, for like multiple turns, he sparked like random other water spells instead of the healing spell. <laughs> What were you fighting at that much of a challenge rating? Um, shadow Giant? No, it wasn't a Shadow Giant. It may have been um, one of those giant birds. Griffins? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, I think they're called something else in the Yeah, claw birds or something like that. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I forget what they're called. But yeah, I think it was one of them. Was like, okay, it, yeah, it was like things have a pretty high challenge rating. Yeah, it was like a harder version. Like I had a, a, a whole defensive thing going and had a fire shield up, so it, I wasn't really in any danger of dying. But yeah, missing a heal on several different turns was not fun. <laughs> on, the, on the plus side, since you had the water contract up, you were at least regenerating. Yeah, around. yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but it was pretty funny. It's like, oh, I sparked Purify. That's not useful right now. And then I th did think the other one was uh, Dispel. Some kind of Dispel. It's like... <laughs> not even remotely what I was looking for. <laughs> no. But yeah, hey, like... I, don't, I don't think I actually had a shard for that spell, so... That's yeah, that, that is one of the nice things. You don't actually need the particular Whispering Stone for, with the spell to actually learn it, if you get lucky. Yeah. Um, but and there are a couple that you don't ever actually find shards for, like um, really. Oh yeah, there some of the top defensive spells I had to learn through sparking and a couple of the major fire spells. Uh, as, a, as a general rule, I would argue that a game should be able to explain to me its basic mechanics by itself and also give me a fairly decent idea of where to go first. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's yeah. that's that's a good idea. It may not have to explain everything. Like, I'm okay if a game, some of the advanced concepts, you kind of have to figure out on your own. But if the game kind of, like, 
Leave teach you. me the building blocks and I'll find them myself. If, if you don't teach me those building blocks... If the game, like, <laughs> basically leaves you with, like, up Shit's Creek without a paddle, um, yeah, no thank you. Which is basically Unlimited Saga. Just not to... Oh, yeah. Not to bash the poor game further. I think yeah, I that. think all of us have some sort of PTSD with Unlimited Saga. A little bit. At least I only yes, paid uh, like $5. <laughs> I think I paid like well, $3. I, I paid less than that with exchange rates. Nice. <laughs> it was the first game I ever found for less than 500 yen. Oh, wow. Well, that, that well, game... The first PlayStation 2 game that I ever found with less so, than So yeah. did that game just like sell well initially based on the name and then just tank from there, I imagine? Yes. Yeah. It sold enough so to get a lot of copies in circulation, and then everyone to realize they didn't ever want to play it again. <laughs> yeah. They kind of pulled the same trick in the U.S. because they attached like some sort of demo of FF10 2, I want to say. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. They had some kind of demo on there. Um, so I'm trying to think of some more examples of this. I think a good one might be um, the Souls games to some extent. Um. Although those... Those are dancing right at the precipice of yeah. how much I'm willing to accept. Yes. Like, th those have also some... How good you are at that type of game. Yeah. but And how much you're willing to put up with it before you look for stuff. But, but... Like, like uh, I, I fully admit that when I pick up a new Souls game, I immediately spoil myself on 90% of the game because I, like, one, I'm gonna, like, I just sort of read up about, like, this is where you need to go, this is what is... These are the traps the game baked in for you, because, like... I don't really get much joy out of getting shocked because something irritating happened when I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, that option is open to me and it increases my enjoyment of the game. <laughs> okay. so but like... One. Huh? Oh, keep going, keep going. No, you go ahead. Okay, so I was going to go back to Seventh Dragon and it's interesting um, character advancement system, the points, the stuff you can put points into, and... Obviously, you're going to need to read the descriptions to figure out what some of the stuff does. And you don't get access to respecking until much later in the game. So. I'm just appreciating that kind adjective. Interesting character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, some of them is really good. I mean, as soon as I realized what this one princess ability did, I got one of the respec items. Um, I mean, the thing takes away five levels off the character, but it completely frees up all the skill points. So yeah. I just put everything back into getting the experience up ability to max on her. <laughs> and then, and then you just got all that stuff back anyway. <laughs> yep. And and got rid of most of the Scream Queen abilities. So they were not very useful. That's a shame. Yeah. So I'm kind of okay with a game basically allowing you to make a bad build as long as it as long as it gives you some sort of out. Like even yeah, if it's not until like, later in the game. Respecting is the easy out. Yeah. But it's also a really good out to give. Yeah. You know, if and, it, if there's a penalty to it, that's okay. Uh, so so my only problem would be if it, the game doesn't let you respec and gives you no idea of how to make a good build, you know, something like that. So. Um. I remember this with the original Etrian Odyssey. There's some, like, I think it's a healer skill that that uh, is insanely useful in the end and almost impossible to beat without it. That, uh, yeah, I didn't have, but at least the game let me respec and get it, so I was I was okay with that. Um, 
I mean, if you if if you if you need to like dip into an FAQ because you keep getting like uh, stuck everywhere, like a, an example uh, as far as a game that I actually like that does this would have to be uh, Paper Mario Paper Jam or not Paper Jam Sticker Star. I'm I'm sorry, my brain is thinking of the new game. Yeah, Paper Mario Sticker Star basically has like old school adventure game style puzzles. Yeah. Uh, and there's plenty of places you can get stuck at where um I remember there's like this ghost house where you have to you have to find and take out all the ghosts in it and I just couldn't find one uh and it was it was like one stuck in a painting and I couldn't figure out how to get it out of the painting and yeah I had to FAQ it I had to FAQ to even figure out where it was to begin with I think so yeah um, I think modern games in general are much better about avoiding this, for the most part. Uh, I I say I would say except for maybe games trying to be retro and maybe being a too retro. I'm thinking of that. Bringing back the parts of retro I don't enjoy. <laughs> I'm, I'm remembering El Minaj right now, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What is regret? Old cool, old school to the extreme. No, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like Dragon did follow that similar philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> people, uh, people often, you know, sort of complain about modern games being too handholdy, but I'll generally take that over. I don't understand anything that's happening, and I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd say there's definitely a good middle ground. That there's definitely a middle ground, but if you're if I'm going to take one extreme or the other, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would I would have to agree. And you know, that's a middle ground. I think a lot of modern games are trying to find too. Like, how how much do you tell the player? How much do you let the player discover on their own? And actually, not to talk about this game too much, but I think Legend of Legacy actually does a really good job of this. Like, we are not being paid by anyone. <laughs> like the the game, the king in the beginning of the game basically tells you go and explore something, and you do that, and through the natural process of exploration, you find things, and things become clear on what you have to do. Like I think there was one part where I was trying to look up, not necessarily where to go next, but just seeing if there were some other areas I could explore, because I kind of got stuck in the uh, in the fire temple because I had been running away from a lot of battles, so my guys were slightly underpowered. Um, but that's, I definitely haven't gotten lost in the game at all. And if remember right, the only real tutorial the game gives is one that stresses the importance of having a defensive Yes, character. yes. And it's like, I, I even noticed, noted this in the review, it's like, this is probably the most useful bit of information the game could give. <laughs> it really is, because if, if that wasn't there, you may, you know... Most people would probably ignore a de defensive stance and you know not pay much attention to it, but that is super important in a game that. This is like the first saga game where shields have their own techniques. Yes, which I really, really like. I think I, I, I think it's great. Um, oh, if if you're lucky, I didn't get it in my second playthrough, but I got my first one. There's a shield skill called bulldozer. Ooh. It, it, it hits everything on the screen. It's just your character gets their shield up and just charges. That's whack, pretty whack, whack. cool. That's really cool. <laughs> it's 
So yeah, the shield does get some attack abilities. Not very good ones, mostly, but they're pretty funny. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I need to use the shield more. Unfortunately, I, I've got the the character with the big sword, so I've been using bolster a lot. So I should probably just try and use the shield more, so I spark more skills for it. Been definitely over relying on bolster. Yeah, it works, but yeah. Now that I have get, now I've got uh, magical shields, I probably don't need it as much. So definitely have to try that out. Um, any other thoughts on this? I'm trying to think of any more games where the FAQ factor comes into play. Um, well, right now, with some of my students, I've been playing Space Quest Six. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and, I mean, Space Quest Five, you could muddle through a lot of it just by trying stuff and paying attention, but Space Quest Six, it's like, okay. Um... <laughs> Even if you have seen the Terminator movies and so realize from the Blade Runner parody character's accent what you might have to do with a liquid metal android, <laughs> uh, figuring out exactly how to hook up a liquid nitrogen tank on the second floor, <laughs> then connect it through two different con two different broken conduits on the first floor in order to freeze the guy on the bottom floor and then whack him and put him in an ice cube tray. Um yeah. Yeah, there's a reason adventure games went away for a while. People seem to forget that. They went away because Sierra Sierra was there to confuse you as to why you had ever purchased a video game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I played some of Sierra's later stuff, and I'm like, okay, we should just go back maybe five to ten years, back to when they, they were still kind of silly on the puzzles, but at least it wasn't this... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think that's about all for this question. Long and short of it is, uh, we no one likes anything where you have to FAQ too much, but a little bit is probably okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's the deepest interest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's move on. to our next question, also from Frank Grizzly. Um, I feel like localization of 3DS RPGs is a no-brainer. Um, I think so, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, the few close personal friends I know with 3DS, 3DSs play 99% RPGs on them, including myself, besides the odd Mario game. Is this the case that you guys find are all handhelds and RPG-centric market? Um, I feel so... like... RPGs work really well on handhelds because you can sort of, you know, there's there slow some, pace. There, there's but, some some factors that would work in here, like the pick up and play ability. Yeah, it means that games that require more of a time um, investment are more easily manageable that way. And yeah. second, that it's just generally cheaper to produce stuff for the 3DS 
not just because of any differences in programming, but also because the actual um, system requirements and the graphic ex expectations of what it's supposed to look like are much lower, and so you don't need to put so much money into graphics. Yeah, yeah you don't have to blow it's, half your budget on art assets. Yeah. And there's also just the plain factor that because Japan is so big on the 3DS, if you naturally lean towards RPGs from companies from Japan, you kind of don't have a lot of that's choice. That's where all their stuff's going. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely a factor. But yeah, you would think a lot of them would be no-brainers because uh, I don't know how many actual sales figures I've seen, but we've gotten a lot of them, and um, I don't think there's been too many that like complete bombs that I can think of. I mean, Atlas keeps bringing over. Atlas brought over Legend of Legacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they keep they keep bringing over the things that like have no name attached to them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we didn't even get those Saga DS remakes that they could have easily <laughs> branded as Final Aww. Fantasy Legend. <sighs> Sad face. We released those as remakes of the games that were advertised in America originally. Yeah, and those though the originals were popular in Japan in um, no, excuse me. Were popular in the US, so I don't understand why uh, I don't know. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to d dig up that old wound. Yeah, you know, you're just stabbing the knife and twisting it again <laughs> and again. Um Yeah, but I think I feel like we're inevitably dancing around the Dragon Quest question. And again, oh. square is square. Yeah. Like, I assume that it's probably something to do with opportunity cost more than it is with the idea that they wouldn't be profitable on their own, but... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. And, like, how much are you willing to put into advertising to help make it work? Yeah. A lot of, pe yeah. A lot of people seem to blame Nintendo for this, but I, I don't really see it. Mainly because... Uh, Nintendo, because um, I'd have rather played Dragon Quest than Bravely Default. Shots fired. <laughs> You're not alone. Square Enix has said that they would, were not interested in it, um, in releasing them by themselves, but Nintendo did release the DS ones, the five yeah. remakes, and they, and so and they did do of uh, taking the, um, uh, just taking the wheel on this particular series on handheld, and so everyone was expecting Nintendo to do it again for 3DS games. Yeah, and they didn't. Yeah, yeah and maybe they just weren't in a position to make that kind of investment considering I feel like they were probably can spread a little too thin at the time when yeah with all the Wii U issues and the, uh, yeah. the start of the 3DS seems yeah. like that's something they probably couldn't take on although yeah. they did take on uh, Bravely Default but I, I'm guessing that was a I'm guessing that was essentially taking. an either or proposition yeah well blah uh, yeah like uh, <sighs> I, I can understand missing out on the Monsters games because those have are, are essentially proven failures yeah. in America. And but, uh, honestly, most of the Pokemon clones seem to be kind of proven failures here, although I guess Digimon has a following. Is that the well, case? Yeah, but all Digimon games are indescribable trash. Um, <laughs> Shots fired again? <laughs> Yeah. I'm shooting, I'm firing those shots because I was traumatized by Digimon World 1 as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I, like... I've played many different monster collector games, and again, I mean, even the ones that are really cool, like um, Otoda Master was really awesome, so was Kurikin. 
But at the same time, you need the built-in um, audience or built-in player group to really make the most of a lot of the features of a monster collector game. And yeah. that has been completely eaten up by Pokemon. So it's like trying yeah, to make... Yeah, unless you're going to make a Pokemon-sized phenomenon, you might as well not even bother. Yeah, and... it, it, it's, like, it's like the online games competing with World of Warcraft in many ways. Yeah. yeah, where you like, have to sort of accept being a niche. There that's eating up most of your target audience, and it's really difficult to stand out enough to get a core group that will actually keep playing yeah. it. And I mean, that was... I mean, Warcraft was already a, like a proven license before that even came out, so that's, that's just an impossible yeah. juggernaut to fight against, really. Right, that's Pokemon just managed to luck into it. Yeah, pretty much. Right place at the right time. Yep. Right place, right time, with the right amount of marketing. And the right, like, the right system, for sure. Definitely. I think they're, tr- like, you know, if, if anyone's going to try to make another Pokemon in America, it's going to be Nintendo trying to make Yokai watch a thing here. Yeah. I was going to say, but, that's uh, about the only one in Japan that has really succeeded. And even then, that one, the, the game sales were just tanking until the anime came out six months later, and then suddenly... Wow, this game is back in the sa- how did this game get back in the sales race? <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> and why is it still in the why why is Yokai Watch 2 still on the sales rankings? Yokai still. Watch 3 it is still out, is? apparently what? 2 still oh, is. Let's see. Dengeki online from okay, this is the end of August that I have up right now. That's still uh, sufficiently uh, ridiculous. <laughs> okay, well there's Yokai Watch Busters. That one's not too I'm not much even sure what that is. <laughs> That's that's the um, kind of a co-op action RPG spinoff. Oh, it's Monster Hunter. That, <laughs> that um, goes to great lengths to mimic Ghostbusters and most of its promotional material. I was gonna say that wow. sounds like a weird uh, Ghostbusters uh, crossover. To the to the point where in the in the official poster that I kept seeing in the stores, they were driving a car that was not quite Ecto One, but looked a lot like it. <laughs> it's still a hearse. They were wearing similar outfits. They've got these gun, these weird-looking guns with the backpack attachment. And, this is the best part, um, you know the, the ghost character, Whisper? Oh, no. Yeah. In, um, in, the, in Yokai Watch Busters, there is a super-powered, monstrous version of Whisper that looks a lot like the Stay Puft Marshmallow. <laughs> so you're saying this game might have some legal issues if it were ever to come west? I think it would I'm wondering the how they managed there. to do it over here. This <laughs> <laughs> seems like the sort of thing where at some point the legal fees would probably be worth less than just going for the license. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's uh, kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, like, you know, we, we were never really going to get Dragon Quest Monsters again unless someone decides to try it again for no real reason. And uh, but I'm I, still... I, I will keep saying this. I will keep screaming this to the heavens. The 3DS Monsters games are bad. But, uh, oh, I, I'm, Dragon Quest 7? Yeah, I'm still licking my wounds <laughs> on that one. Oh... Yeah, and if we don't get eight, I'm going to be kind of disgusted. Yeah, that one... That game is 90% translated. You dragged back half of the voice actors anyway for Heroes. 
like... <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> like, the amount of opportunity cost here is not high, because, like, it's already mostly done. And I will buy, like, three copies. Oh, I want Put, that game. Uh, on the record. Yeah. I'll buy, like, three copies. I watch. So, as of... Let's see, as of... What was the day here? As of August 23rd, it was sitting 45 on the sales list. It's not on the sales list for the week after, but it has gone below 50 and then hopped back up before. <laughs> It was uh, a really good episode of the Yokai Watch cartoon. I gotta buy it again. Sometimes you gotta wonder. Uh, so let's try. Let's see if it shows up in September. Okay, I'll keep talking. I'll I'll let you know if I find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I I feel like they they've talked about Dragon Quest Heroes being sort of their test bed for like do you know do Westerners want Dragon Quest? And aside from that being kind of a flawed proposition, I feel like. 8 3DS is a much better test bed. Yeah. Here we go. Yep, uh, Yokai Watch 2 is up to 38 in mid-September. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> like, what even happened there? <laughs> I don't understand. Have you played those games at all? No, but I have several students who do. Okay. So well, that I'd seems like statistically you would have to. Oh, no, I've been avoiding that series. It's yeah. Level no, five. No, I'm saying statistically, you would have to have at least a few students that played it. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, let's get there. Yeah. I'm I'm leery of it because I don't usually enjoy level five products. I will see what it looks like when they release one in the U.S. Yeah, I'll give it a try. Expect really bad puns. Uh, well... Well, I was just really, like, losing my shit over the fact that, like, there was this slime in Dragon Quest Heroes named Slime Shady, so... I, Dragon Quest Eight, but yes. I do love me some terrible puns. Yeah, but that's... I'm pretty sure that's half the reason why Yokai Watch 1 and 2 never... or probably never get localized properly. Because you can't so, pun those properly so in English. English. Yeah, so many of the yokai in those, in those two games are an example of, let's take an existing Japanese monster whose name is already really specific to um, its shape, and yeah, then yeah. change one kana symbol in the name to give it a jokey new meaning and then redesign <laughs> the monster all around that new meaning again Ooh. in Japanese. Well, I can kind of see why the why Nintendo chose to start localizing this series with the one that doesn't take place in Japan. <laughs> Suddenly, the lack of localizations makes a lot of sense. So, just as an example, um, there is a Japanese um, urban legend called the Kuchisake Ona, the slit mouth hmm. woman. It's kind of gross. She, um, it's this lady who she's taken a knife and cut a smile up both sides of her cheeks. So and, like she hides, the, and she hides it with our, one of those allergy masks. The Joker? From well, this, the this, Glasgow smile, yeah. Okay. This dates back to the 70s. It was one of those big, um, like, um, urban panic things back in the 70s. But they've got a version of her in Yokai Watch 1 called the Kuchidake Ona. Change the S to a D. And Kuchidake yeah. means just a mouth woman. <laughs> And so this woman, she looks um, I mean, she looks like a 20-something-year-old woman, um, the style-wise, in her clothes. 
but her head is just a mouth, and she's talking on her telephone all the time. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now do it's 300 like, and more. And how do you friends like this? You, you, this is nearly impossible. Yeah. Because no one, no one would get it. There's like there's probably like a couple of these where you could luck into a se- a semi similar pun, but when you're doing like hundreds of them, it's just like no, there there exists yeah. no translation in any language to make this work. Yeah, this kind of goes back to uh, what we talked about last episode about um, Ace Attorney games. Ace Attorney games, but also the whole co- the whole thing about uh, leaving in original Japanese names and whatnot, and how. Uh, you have to actually localize something and not just leave in all the names. Because it's like, at that point, failure to localize means that you aren't getting the original experience, but in this case, there is no equivalent. There is no way to localize. One that was introduced in Yokai Watch 2, it was um, the original monster in Japanese legend is called the Itan Momen, which literally means one length of cotton cloth. (laughs) That's, That's what the name means. If you ever watch any of the episode of Gay 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 no Kitaro, you've probably seen oh, this. Oh man, I love that. Yeah, it's it's the long white ribbon-like monster that can oh. fly around and it will wrap around people and strangle them to death. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. So there is that one exists in Yokai Watch too, but it also has a modern version. They changed the mo in the name to go, to so it's Itan Gomen, and Gomen is a Japanese expression that means I'm sorry. Yeah. So the Itan Gomen it looks just like the Itan Momen, except it's always constantly apologizing for stuff. <laughs> yeah, try finding a way to make cotton and sorry sound similar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. That's, uh, yeah. So basically, uh... Oh, and, and even better, so, um, there's this one character who shows up in, um, I can't even remember his name properly, but he's this really short, muscular, um, like, if you took an Oni and made him, like, a bodybuilder and made him, like, four feet tall, that's what this guy would look like. Um, he's re- really funny. He's kind of the coach for the characters in Yokai Watch Busters, and I could never figure out the joke on his name, but then, just by coincidence, I think um, my wife's mother-in-law saw a picture of this guy with his name. It was on one of my nephew's shirts or something and it turns out that the car- the monster's name is a joke on Billy's boot camp <laughs> the exercise videos yeah wow what? I'm, I'm not joking here that is apparently what the actual joke is for this monster's name wow at, at least that's what that's what a group of um, Japanese women with absolutely no experience with the series and no interest in ever playing the game came up with by looking at this monster <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm going to assume this is accurate because I can't think of any other ex- example or any yeah. other. <laughs> but yeah, like, we don't get things because opportunity costs at the end. Also, Yokai Watch is freaking weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Very some weird. of the Pokemon names might be hard enough to, to, um, to translate if you were going for the exact joke, but at least in that game, you don't have several hundred years of Japanese folklore in context to shape the name. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of like how, like, you know, Ace Attorney is able to get by by virtue of not being always overtly Japanese. So it's just like, 
sometimes you can get away with it and just sort of make a you know make a new joke that sort of fits the old joke but <sighs> with this it's just sometimes oh well this is so wrapped up in context that you can't translate around it. <laughs> but I think that's about as much as we're going to approach the question. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, having a lot of friends that play RPGs, uh, there are a lot of non-RPGs, uh, lots of platformers and other stuff, so it's definitely not only RPGs. Just we, uh, we are also definitely a self-selecting crowd. It's true. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, alright, let's move on to the next question. So our next question is also another one from Frank Grizzly. Um, We've got at least one more after this as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, I know this has been talked uh, about lots on RP Gamer and other sites. Do you think they should keep mainline FF games turn-based and the action-y system as spin-offs? Or are people in the wrong for wanting and demanding this because it's it's their, the developer's game, they can do what they want? Um, and Frank Grizzly also apparently plays Magic and Hearthstone, so he is officially awesome. As opposed to when he was just sending us a lot of questions, which yeah. I really appreciated. No, no um, totally, totally awesome. But yeah, like as far as like I, I got kind of a strong opinion on this because I think that FF15 looks very interesting. But uh, like as far as I'm concerned, it's mostly just a thing of like. Final Fantasy loves screwing around with how interactive its battle system is at any given moment. Like, you get, you know, like, they were already, they start edging towards this after they ditch the very concept of a strictly turn-based system like with FF4, and then, you know, later ones sort of like, okay, you can mux with what order the turns are coming in by doing different actions, like 10, and then, like, you're still moving around the terrain, but it's still kind of turn-based with 12, and then 13, which is very fast, about as fast as any action game you care to name, for the most part, uh, just by virtue of having you switch between high-level concepts. And then, so, like, 15 just seems like the natural expression of them wanting to see, like, you know, what what can we do when we aren't like chaining ourselves to a very rigorous interpretation of what an, a turn-based RPG system should look like? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just dominated that question. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, no worries. Um, Honestly, at this point, I've got many other series that I care more about than Final Fantasy. Yeah. Sometimes that's also a thing, is that, like, you know... Sometimes because the series has a format that I really like and that they are willing to play with while keeping it to a specific sort of sub-style. And other times because they, I know that they'll just go completely bizarre in one way or another. But at least at, I, will always know I will always know more or less what the series is going to be about. Yeah. I mean, I, again, Legend of Legacy. I knew going in it's going to be a saga-style game. I knew more or less what was going to happen. 
I did not know any of the specifics battle system exactly, but I could figure it out fast enough. Yep. So. Or yeah. uh, Metal Max. Ooh, Metal Max. Oh, man. <laughs> You're just going to taunt me with the fact that we don't get Metal Max games now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I you own the one U.S. release Metal Max. Yep, and oddly <laughs> enough, all of the really good changes to the battle system in that series happened in the game after that. Oh, yes, which had faults of its own, but it came up with some good ideas to work around some of the issues. Like that was Metal Max all... Two Returns, right? No, Metal Max, um, Metal Saga: Season of Steel DS, ah. uh, made by Succeed, but it is a direct sequel to the first Metal Max game. And it was, I mean, it did some things I didn't like too much, like limiting the party size too much and only letting you use one tank at a time, blah, blah, blah. But it also allowed all party members to equip three weapons at once and switch between them in combat. Oh, that's neat. Which made non-vehicular combat much easier to deal with. (laughs) Even as they threw some really awful battles at you. (sighs) Yeah. Like the second boss battle where you could only win it by spamming hand grenades. I sure would love a RPG where I have tanks. Oh, someone localize those games. Come on. Oh, Seriously, any better. of them. Not just, not just tanks. Not just tanks. Bio biomechanical tanks. Oh, come on. <laughs> Why are you doing bio- this to me? <laughs> and not just biomechanical tanks, but dinosaur biomechanics. Get the the heck out. Why are you doing this (laughs) to me? And not just that, but pink, plush, Tyrannosaurus Rex biomechanical tanks that breathe fire. Why am I not allowed to take part in this whimsy? Because um, because the 3DS does not allow you to import a game and then use it. Well, I have an import 3DS, so I think it's... Metal Max 4. Metal Max 4. I'm just going to have to... It's probably really hard to play in Japanese, but I'm going to have to give it a try. If you don't, well, I'm dunking, It's not as hard as all that. At least Metal Max 4 actually gives you a goal to work towards. Oh, nice. Yep. And is pretty good with the documentation. And if all else fails, just go someplace new and see what happens. Like at- always ask me if you need help. Doesn't like Atlas or Exceed or someone occasionally publish games from... From uh, what's, what's the name of the? Uh, Kadokawa is the current one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Kadokawa is. I feel like. Kind of. I feel like they've tried to move into the West at some point, but. Yeah, wasn't Kadokawa involved with uh? What's that strategy RPG? The Natural Doctrine. Yeah, Natural Doctrine. Yeah, yeah, they. Yeah, they were behind that. And that's a really also, good I was going to say, apparently, Metal Max 4 was partially developed by the people that made obscure PS2 RPG Sugunai Atonement, which is super weird. Hmm. Not too surprised. Yeah, but unfortunately, I mean, we didn't. you didn't get any of the DS games, yep. which would have really helped. I mean, I think the honestly, only... I mean, honestly, Season of Steel was a much better game than Metal Saga PlayStation 2. Yeah, like, Metal Saga PlayStation 2 is the only Metal Max-related title we've ever gotten. Yeah, I mean, the first two, it makes some sense because, you know, Nintendo had its various rules, and there was no way it was going to let a game with pubs, open alcohol, and some implied prostitution get into the its U.S. market. 
they would have found a way to censor it, but it was also like at that point. Uh, I think the no, first no game... possible way because it was actually a plot point in Metal Max. Oh, it was a plot point. Oh. Okay, they never would. Have, where, they were just given up. In order, in order to get them get part of the plot through, you had to help buy a house for this dancer in one town, and then you actually get the nickname of like um, I think it was Miranda's sugar daddy. Actually, it was uh, <laughs> uh, no, Marilyn. Marilyn's sugar daddy. I think my personal favorite, like, attempt to censor something that fooled no one was playing Grandia 1 and seeing a guy just laying in a pile of bottles, clearly drunk off his ass, and then, like, you're standing outside of what's labeled cafe. <laughs> and you talk to him, and he's just like, yeah, I just had too much coffee. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was an impressive failure oh. to even really attempt what they were doing. How about some banana smuggling? I was so disappointed when I played the DS game and I found out that it was just labeled as contraband. Oh. I'm like, bananas! Come on. Bananas! Bananas can be contraband. That is bananas. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was just so funny in the, the original game. It's like, of all the things, but at the same time, this the area is based on Edo period Japan, so it makes sense. I mean, the Edo government banned all sorts of stuff. Why not bananas? <laughs> the Edo government banned just about anything that had to be imported. Yeah. But... What was the original question again? What were we talking about? We, we moved far afield of it. Uh, the question... Oh, Final Fantasy actions. Uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we, we quickly answered that and then started yeah. talking about Metal Max for some reason. Sorry, I just really like to talk about some of these games. Damn, yeah, they're, they're right. fun games. Uh, okay. That's um, why I didn't fantasy. object. <laughs> so, I mean, so on the one hand, we also have the Bravely Default games, which are being, which are touted as an example of how um, players do like the old style Final Fantasy. I wish they had done it better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you and I mean, me like, both. Like, I had a really, I had a ball playing Final Fantasy five and six earlier this year, and then you know. Try playing Bravely Default briefly again. Just yeah. got it just really gets, bored. It gets really boring. I, I mean, my, my version, of, my copy of the game doesn't even have an easy mode. <laughs> you got a regular Bravely Default. Yeah, four, uh, four Warriors of Light. I think it was called Four Heroes of Light here. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. had a much more interesting take on turn-based combat that I wish they had uh, actually done with uh, Bravely Default. Since that seemed like it kind of started as a sequel to that. Yeah, I mean it's even got the hats. Yeah. Asterisks. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's just yeah. like, you know, there it's still hunger for that, and I think that that market deserves to be served. Like, even though I think that you know the new direction of Final Fantasy is very interesting, but like, you know, I, I want that direction to have quality and. Yeah. Rayleigh Default was not my thing. Yeah, me neither. But I think the thing to remember about Final Fantasy is just how experimental the series is. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, look at FF2. It was a saga game. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think we kind of take it for granted at this point, but you you look at what some of those games tried, and it's, yeah, yeah lots of different weird the, stuff. The parts, the parts of them system. that... Yeah? Yeah, the active time battle system was, you know, just like... At the time, that's like a what... <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think to exclude action-based systems uh, from that kind of experimentation, I think 
would be wrong. And I don't think you have to go into some weird area where, no, the action-based games can never be a main series title. I I think that's too limiting. I mean, there was a period I remember listening to people saying that the MMOs can never be main series titles. Yeah. So no. uh, let's say we've got two M- action-based MMOs as main series titles. There is precedence now. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, the... I mean, we have one that's plays more like a almost like a, a Bioware game as far as combat goes than it does some of the Final Fantasy games. And yeah, yeah, no, which, 12's which, combat system plays a lot like a Bioware game. Yeah, and what, the funny thing about that is, I still think that game has a much better in, uh, interface than any of Bioware's console. Yeah, like, well, like trying to get a Bioware character to do precisely what you want without taking direct control of them is an exercise in frustration. Yeah. Yeah, but that just that menu system in twelve is just fantastic. But I mean, you really look at it; that's not that many steps off of an action RPG. So yeah, uh, yeah. and I mean, like I said, with thirteen, like you're making decision, you're like changing your strategies about as fast as you would expect someone to be making moves in an action game. Yeah, yeah. I think th- I think the only important thing for them to do in terms of action-based combat is not to only do action-based combat. Like yeah, in, in like this, but this... that's the thing is that they're not going to just stop experimenting because they yeah. played action combat and now it's time to just do that forever. Well, you'd think they there might be a risk of them doing it, but I don't think so. But yeah, you you just the the important thing with that series is not not to have limits, just experiment and try different things. I mean, that may be you know, turn based, you... it may be not turn based, it may be action based, maybe some weird combination of all of them. And yeah, but I mean, you, you go back to like the PS1 era, and you get like the Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy VIII, which has like essentially reaction commands in order to get critical hits with Squall, and yeah. they sort of like they da- dial back from even that. And by FF10, they're going to the strictest turn-based system they'd had in years. Yeah, that's that's true. That one doesn't even have uh, active time battle. It's just totally turn-based. So yeah, like I, I don't think that it's a one-way street. What's that? Final Fantasy X also had the ability to change turn order, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but it was still like you could sit there and think about it as long as you want, and you will always know how you're going to change the turn order when you do something. Yeah, yeah so. but it even yeah, did different Final things. Final Fantasy four, five, and six, you could turn off the enemies can supersede you in combat. Yeah. So I mean, it was possible to do the strategic strategic mode in those games too. Yeah, and you can actually do that in 12 too. You can have it pause whenever you bring up the menu, which is nice. Yeah. It's just one of those things where like they'll they'll always try to find ways to accommodate people that really don't want the game moving as fast as yeah. it's trying to. And I mean, you're going to find some director that's going to come along to the series and want to do like a more classic styled game. So uh, there's nothing to worry about, but you have you have to let them experiment. You can't just keep complaining that it's not like all the old, old ones because all the old so ones all the old ones are all unlike yeah even the ones that are generally close in battle systems there's a lot different in, in terms of other systems and that's that's what's great about the series and if you want the series to uh maybe get going a little bit more again it has to do that cuz it, it's not dragon quest it's not it's not successful by doing the same thing over and over again. Final Fantasy is change. So, nothing sometimes certain. I have to wonder, what, what games are these people really wanting to play? 
because it there's seems probably like, a game that more directly resembles your favorite Final Fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it seems like they're so hung up on the name that they're ignoring everything else that they actually are looking for. Yeah. yeah. And so they want the name and then everything else doesn't match it. Well, screw that. <laughs> Let me help you. We'll go in and we'll ROM hack Final Fantasy into the name of the RPG that actually looks like what you want to play. <laughs> But yeah, okay. That, that question. Final Fantasy of Legacy. Oh there man, no, that's Saga of Legacy. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get people, more people to play it. <laughs> well, it could be Final Fantasy Two of Legacy. Final Fantasy Legend Three, the real one. This no, no, time. Final Fantasy Legend of Legacy. There you go. Oh man, perfect. I mean, that actually so... works into the right kind of game system, even. Yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> It would probably okay, so let's move to the next, next letter. What do we got? All right. So let's move on to our next question. Is this our last question, maybe? I don't know. Not even remotely. All right, we have more questions. We'll see how many we can get to. We'll go through this little lightning round. Well, I'm back with some other Monster Hunter question. I just did my new set of armor at Monster Hunter... Oh, God, I can't pronounce this monster's name. Auroros? Looks like Auroros. And I get the skill Mind's Eye. Man, I don't think I can live without that ever again. So my question is, what are your favorite uh, skills that you need to have on your hunter? What about the new Monster Hunter X that is coming... What about the new Monster Hunter X that is coming with new... Monster Hunter Frost. (laughs) Wow. I'm going to have to... I may have to edit that out. What about the new Monster Hunter Cross that is coming with the new fighting styles? Can't wait to try the aerial one out. Yeah, I haven't actually watched a lot of stuff about Monster Hunter Cross because I've got it pre-ordered, so I'm just gonna like mess around. They have an unabashed love of stance switching systems. (laughs) Yeah, I'm cool with that. Um, As far as uh, skills, I need I. I have used the uh, gun lance a lot. Um, can, can't remember the exact name of the skill, but there's some skill that uh, enhances like the explosive power of the gun lance shots. So that's that's I think it's like ballistics or something. So that's usually one I aim towards. But in general, I usually like to go for like just general attack and defense buffs um, because those. Uh, will work across, bas- you know, basically work with whatever kind of weapon you're using. So, uh, especially in four, where I've used like multiple different weapon types. Um, but I probably need to experiment with the skills, skill sets a bit more because I've kind of just, you know, gone with the usual stuff. And did you mention <laughs> who wrote this? Oh yeah, this is from Ombres. I'm sorry. Um, there, it's in there now. <laughs> okay, but yeah, uh, I probably need to experiment a bit more because I kind of just go with what I know instead of experimenting. Faster, man! Faster! Lightning round! <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I think another one I've used is potential, uh, which in older games would actually make your weapon like more powerful. 
like each weapon would have stats based on whether you had that skill or not. Uh, but now it doesn't do anything quite so nuts. Uh, to be yeah. fair, that basically made it like put this on every weapon. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think that's about all I got on the question. Yeah, pretty much I need to experiment some more because I'm not totally uh, a skill savvy, I would say. Oh well. All right. Moving on. Yep. <laughs> we'll just move on. Pre-ordering games. This is, I think, another one from Frank Grizzly. Yep. Uh, some people say this is a to- toxic praxis. Toxic. I cannot talk toxic right now. Practice. Yes. Thank you. Do you agree? Do you think pre-orders could be toxic to only huge budget games popular in the West and maybe okay for smaller print run niche titles? I think pre-orders have a very important place in the game industry, especially in our favorite genre. I don't necessarily disagree with you there. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it's just a case of, like, this is the most concrete way to prove that people are interested in purchasing a game when they put money dollars down to make sure that they can have it. Yeah, and I think if you look at companies like Atlas that do like first runs with extra stuff, uh, I think that's definitely an incentive to try and get people to pre-order. So definitely, yeah, I, know, I know in Japan, like ninety percent of the game sales will happen in the first two weeks. But at the same time, yeah. a lot is not pre-orders. It's just that all the stores are pretty well stocked anyway. Yeah, it's it's a much easier stocking situation there. Yeah. But... I think with uh, our population... Yeah, it's just a little too spread out to make it work properly. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, since much. our population is way more spread out, that, that that's just not realistic. Yeah, so pre-orders are basically their way of being like, okay, there's demand for this here, we ship out a certain number of copies, and it sort of helps yeah. them minimize the risk. Yeah, I mean, pre-orders make sense in that context, it's just... You don't always know if one little one particular city in the Midwest will sell enough copies to justify sending them there. Pretty much. So you bring out the pre-orders, and that gives you the best sales estimate you're going to get. Certainly better than people saying online, "Oh, I really want to buy this." <laughs> <sighs> okay, so that was a nice, quick question. I just wanted to throw. In. Yeah. Uh... So let's just machine gun into the next one. Oh man, this this next one's my jam. Alright, actually, alright. Dave, I'm going to let you read off the next one. Question for the next ep- episode, whenever you get around to recording it. A bit of context first. I was going through my through my old PS1 games recently and noticed two RPGs that almost never come up in conversation, Jade Cocoon and Thousand Arms. I remember getting Jade Cocoon used at GameStop at some point for about $2 and then forgetting I ever owned it. I did beat Thousand Arms years ago and remember enjoying it, uh, but have no idea if it's worth revisiting nowadays. I'm guessing it doesn't hold up. So the question is, are there standalone PS1 RPG feeds, I or uh, you, uh, J or otherwise, that are actually worth playing nowadays? I know some, Shadow Madness, are best forgotten, but there has to be some uh, 
game here and there, whether they cross the Pacific Ocean or not. Uh, well, first I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a strong words about how Thousand Arms was one of the first games to make me really uncomfortable with every bit of dialogue that was coming out of the character's <laughs> mouth. Because <laughs> like the you you boot the game up and the main character's living in his like weird ancestral mansion and he's surrounded by maids and you talk to the maids and they're all talking to you and simultaneously saying, "Please stop groping me." <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to play this man's game. I don't want to be this man. <laughs> Because but, it's uh, entirely based on the maid fetish in Japan. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Thousand Arm was also made, was also partially in cahoots with Red Entertainment creator Sakura Tyson. So yeah, unsurprising all told. Um, <laughs> trying to think of really good like standalone RPGs on Guess One. I own a lot of them, but I'm trying to remember ones that actually hold up. Yeah. Um, well, I remember one that I actually enjoyed. It was um, I found it in, over here under the title Night and Baby. And then oh, Guardians Crusade. I was very surprised to find out it had actually been released in America. And then looked it up on our site and found out that we only had one review, and it was by Otter. And so I'm like, yeah, screw the requirement that it needs to be played in the actual language of official American release, if necessary. Um, I'm just going to review this one and see what it's like. And it has to be a lot better than he thought. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I need to revisit was, that, because you, you was mentioned still, this last time. I mean, definitely not the best game ever, but it was charming in its own way. And it was definitely not a 1.5. Oh, wow. Just like he gave it. It was a very simple game. It was not what I was expecting at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... The kind of game that you'd give to your little cousin who's wanting to try something new. Yeah. He's uh, not. Um, yeah. yeah but yeah, that's, of... that's the first one that comes to mind when I'm thinking of, like, hidden little gems that might be interesting to somebody. I'm thinking of uh, Brave Fencer Musashi, even though that did oh, get a sequel. I love that game with all of my heart. Yeah, that's a really fun game. One moment, I'm going to grab some my shelf to see what I've got in my backlog. Sure. Yeah, I'm good. I, that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna rant a little bit. Great Fencer Musashi is still not on PSN. That is that a tragedy. Game, I love that game with all of my heart. I played through it like five times on PS One. I would adore being able to play it on my Vita, and I think it's probably. Hello. So I think Brave Fencer's on PSN Japan, isn't it? Yep. I'm pretty sure it is. And that is why I'm, like, personally offended at the fact that it's not on US PSN. <laughs> but, like, uh... Japanese PSN has a bunch of, like, squares, like, crazy old experimental games that we never got, because it's also got Unhander. Yeah, you know what else it has? What? Two... PS1 RPG is very near and Saga dear to Frontier our hearts. Yeah. Saga Frontier 1 and 2. Saga Frontier 1 and 2. Not on US PSN. Really? Precious yeah. little of the of US of like Square's uh, PS1 catalog ever came out on PSN in America. Like we got Vagrant Story and 
think Legend of Mana at some point. We and did. the three final and Final Fantasy seven, eight, and nine and tactics, I think, for some reason. We did. Well, you know Despite it, us already it, having War of the Lions. But well, I, I think the logic there is if you don't care about the PSP, which would constitute a large market. <laughs> yeah, it's true, but still at some point it's like, okay, we we have everything Final Fantasy is covered. And then they were just sort of done. <laughs> and that was super frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. There's a there's a bunch of weird uh, strategy RPGs that I don't think anyone's thought about since they came out, like Brigandine and Cardia. Yeah, um. yeah, and there's a reason why nobody's really thought about some of those since then. <laughs> some of them, but or, still, or it's something got, that, like, I've I remember. Got, I've got Volfoss over here. Volfoss? <laughs> what? Uh, the strategy RPG that would never have gotten released in America sheerly by virtue or vice of its character designs. Oh, heavens. Oh, I, um, on the last backtrack I was on, I broke Phil with some of these. <laughs> oh, but let boy. Let's share right now. Okay. Um, where's the. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Um, what? Exactly. What? <laughs> She's a re reoccurring villain. What? I'm weird. I'm a weird Shin Megami Tensei demon that got thrown up on standing on rocking chair high heels. And uh, don't forget the uh, whatever that is supposed to be coming out of her chest. Yeah, no, I, did, I was trying desperately to avoid thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's that's one of the games I tried for SRPG September. And, you shouldn't um, have done that. Why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> yeah, get it out of the way. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, I didn't even know this game existed, this, and I kind of wish I could go back to those Halcyon this days. Demon, this demon lady looks like she has skis for feet. That's yeah. why I was saying she looks like... To me, I was thinking, like, you look like you combined a high heel and a rocking chair. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I've got some really weird crap in my backlog for PlayStation that I will eventually play. Yeah, now I'm kind of terrified of hearing what else is on there. Um, now, very few of them are ni anywhere near as special as Bull Thoughts. <laughs> uh, based on that image? Yeah. <laughs> Something like Volfoss only comes once every so often. Yeah, the guy who designed all the all the port characters in that game, um, afterwards, immediately afterwards, he started designing monsters for Kamen Rider. That's not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> um, looking at my PS1 games, what oddities do we have here? Um, I've also got like. Um, did you ever see the old anime or manga Bastard? Oh, oh man! I've got I've got an RP, PlayStation RPG based on that. Interesting. Wow. Yep. Um, and but also I've got Mass Master of Monsters, Exaform. Uh, that's a post-apocalyptic tactical game. I need to finish sometime. Uh, yeah, I don't think we got Exaform. Uh, oh, pretty much none of these. I have come to America, I think. T uh, Tale of Bells. Looks kind of cute. Um, the Popolacroix roguelike game I've never touched, but I thought, you know why. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Popolacroix 
point being was that like it was the easy RPG. Yeah. So Popo Rogue, I have no idea what that's going to be like. But I figure oh, uh, not... once Popo Farm comes out in America, I'll just play Popo Rogue just to see. And suddenly, like I remember seeing the name Popo Rogue at one point and being like, "What the hell is with this name?" I kn- I have heard of Popo Lacroix, but I had no idea what Popo Rogue could be. And like suddenly, like a weird key has unlocked in my brain, and it's like, "Oh gosh, it's a roguelike." <laughs> yeah, Popo Lacroix roguelike. I don't know why people keep trying to put the French pronunciation on that thing, because it's not. It was how I was always told to do it, and apparently I was wrong. <laughs> well, I'm going by the katakana on the side of my... Oh, wow, there's katakana here. Yeah. Oh, hey, I found a fun one-off PS1 RPG. Oh, what? Beyond the Beyond. That's not fun. You shut up, sir. <laughs> Sorry. No, thank yeah, you. Yeah, terrible. Uh, Xeno Gears, technically. Yeah, pretty good until the sec until you get to the second disc and realize that they didn't have enough money to finish the second disc. <laughs> Breaks in half. Um, I'm just remembering, like I like there was a brief period where I was going to try to play every English localized uh, RPG in uh, and just sort of just go down the list every English localized PS1 RPG and just sort of go down the list and like I collected a fair number of what I was missing, and so it's my closet just has weird, like, dumb roguelike nonsense, like, frickin'... <laughs> Torneco's Last Hope? Torneco's Last Hope is in there. But, yeah, no, the dumb roguelike I was thinking of was uh, Azure Dreams sim uh, in there, the roguelike dating sim. Well, I was gonna say, technically, Torneco's Last Hope is a one-off for us. Yeah, yeah. We never got any of the other Dragon Quest roguelikes. We never got Shonen Yangus. <laughs> oh, that game looks so fun. Yep, I should try that sometime. Let's see what else I've got here. I've got Black Matrix Plus. Lacrosse. I've got you Counter Revolution War, which looks like a <laughs> look, looks like a knockoff of the. Um, Oh, what was that series from Square with the with Wanzers? What was that one? Front Mission. Front mission. Uh, yeah, Front Mission. Yeah, so I've got this game here that looks like a Front Mission knockoff. I've got the Inuyasha RPG. Oh, wow. I, I should note that I still have the I still have the price tags on most of these, and very few of them are more than three hundred yen. Nice. Um, I used to just walk into the used stores with a thousand yen and see how much I could get. <laughs> and sounds, sometimes I actually like walk ex- out of the sounds... games. <laughs> I've done that in. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the sort of thing I would do if I was like in Japan. It's just like, what garbage can I find? Yeah. And some of them were actually pretty good. Uh, so it's weird. Yeah. Huh. Some of them were recyclable. I feel like if I ever went to Japan, I'd do that for, like, random DS games. I did that, too, but most of them are about 500 or more. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's like, living the... And the good ones tend to be closer to full price still. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're not alone in that phenomenon, because pretty much any RPG on the DS that is, like, at least semi-reasonably rare goes for original price or better. I mean, like, most of them are most of the. I mean, even the good ones like Legend of Legacy is down to about two thousand five hundred right now, and a couple. Um, yeah, it just 
if there's a lot of them released to begin with, then prices often go down really fast. Yeah. Like, oh, three... Final Fantasy Thirteen. Three months after release, the price dropped down to fourteen hundred yen for a while, Ooh, because yeah. most of the country sold back their copies within a two-week time span. And I'm sure they didn't want to finish it. At this point, I'm just looking up like lists, like a list of like 1998 RPGs, and it's just full of like nonsense I've never heard of. <laughs> the pre the previously mentioned Black Matrix. Which is apparently a Saturn PS1 RPG. Yeah. Oh god, Grandia Digital Cube. Museum. Linda Cube! Say what? Oh, Linda Cube! Oh, oh there was a fun yeah, one! <laughs> the game's so nice you play it thrice. Yeah. And With... you would willingly do it. <laughs> oh, I did willingly do it. It was really fun. It, the, uh, the video scenes were absolutely bizarre. But, I mean, okay, it goes beyond bizarre. Apparently, Linda Cube was one of the games that was cited as being as helping to convince lawmakers to push through the warning labels for violent scenes and grotesque imagery that you find in video games now. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and we'll never get it. Uh... Unfortunately, I mean, you got, I mean, you managed to get the um, Oreshika 2 somehow. Yeah, I'm that just, was weird. I'm just waiting for Alpha System to remake Linda Cube, and one of these days I'm just going to walk over to their headquarters near Minami Station in Kumamoto and ask. <laughs> I've please been remake, telling myself uh, I need to do this for years now, and eventually I'm going to go do it. Please remake Linda Cube and just have some crazy, like, nonsense. Uh, put more crazy nonsense in it, and then just ask Xseed to go publish it. I'm sure they'll bother. <laughs> I mean, I say that with all love. Oh yeah. Or the Narakiri Dungeon games two and three. Um, they were oh, they, yeah, yeah. they were part of the first Tales of the World generation, and they're much better than Radiant Mythology. Much better. Than I Mythology. would hope so. Much much better than Radiant Mythology. Summoner's lineage was crap. Um, at least for the story campaign. But mm -hmm. yeah. They all have weird names. <laughs> yeah. And no, I mean, uh, some of his lineage, the name made sense because the main character was like a direct descendant of Klaus from the original Tales of Fantasia. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking down this list and it's just like, what, what, what the hell even are these? Yep. <laughs> Or what? How do you pronounce this? Veldesebla, no Veldeselba. No guess. No, this one actually looks more like it's a sh a flying sim with art with a Japanese RPG story style. I'm trying to figure this. I'm, eventually, I'm going to just try this. I picked it up because it looked like it might fit something I might like. Oh well. Oh. We we could be here a while. It might yeah. be. Uh... Maybe we should move on. Yeah, let's move on before I need to actually be at work. All right. Yeah, let's just machine gun through the final question. Yeah, I think it's fairly short. Yeah. All right. Uh, sorry, I had to close that weird demon picture. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. I so staring at it. I am. Okay, this one is specifically for you. Okay. This is still from Cassandra. This one might be best for whenever you can get Gaijin again. Surely I'm not the only one who has noticed all of the Norse mythology references in JRPGs. Weapons, places, character names, and monsters that come from Norse, Norse mythology can be found in countless games. There are even individual games and series whose settings and stories are based on North myths, myths like Valkyrie Profile, Department Heaven, and Tales of Fantasia, and Symphonia. Why Norse myths and not other non-Japanese mythology like Greco-Roman and Mesopotamian? Is Norse mythology really that popular in Japan? Maybe it just so happens that the games that get localized have a lot of Norse references. I, I think you But guys, what about Glory of Heracles? I was going to say you got one, <laughs> one of the Heracles games, but I think a lot of it goes back to um, when RPGs first started up. It's really obvious that they were stealing stuff directly from the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, you got the Och, I mean, like the mon- monster plant Ochu that shows up in a lot of the Final Fantasy games is originally the Otyug, or however you pronounce it, from D- Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah, like like since, half of FF1's monster manual is since probably, half, like legally actionable. <laughs> and because of that, since Final Fantasy keeps um, copying its own monsters over and over again, a lot of the monsters that you can find in 13 even are somehow descended from monster manual creatures. But the thing is, since Dungeons & Dragons is heavily based on Tolkien, who himself was heavily based on Norse myth, they have, like, in there's, like, um, I can't... We call it genetic or mimetic ancestry here. Um, I would go with mimetic in this case. Yeah, mimet- an, I mean, there's, a heavy, there's a heavy bias towards the Norse stuff in the very foundation of the JRPG. And then I'm I'm not quite sure, but I'm I thinking there was some sort of boom with it in the 90s with like oh like um, uh, Megami Sama, Oh My Goddess. Mm. As I know, the yeah. three goddesses in that one were named after the Norns from Norse mythology, and but not just that. You can just see it. It somehow got hooked into the genre early and never let go. Is basically the answer here. At that point, when you're looking for something new that sort of fits the setting, that that mythology is going to start more promising, just because it's like, oh, this is something that I haven't looks a lot like the things you'd see in another game. Yeah. And um, maybe it started off with just the fact that the Greco-Roman mythology was so ubiquitous for a long time. And it back in the 80s, it seemed like this was the cool new way to go, and then suddenly it became the standard. Sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, you've got the Vikings, you've got giants, you've got dragons, you've got all this elves and dwarves, and it just fits the settings a lot better. Everything you associate with a fantasy novel. Yeah. I mean, mean, it doesn't have stuff like Cyclops and Medusa, but you end up cramming those in anyway. So, for a lot of the monster manual stuff, you will see a lot of Greco-Roman stuff, but the settings, Ragnarok just really kicks it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, for for Greco-Roman... of the world got saved from. Yeah, I mean, for Greco-Roman references, I mean, sure, I mean, Legend of Legacy's final boss has an attack called Titanomachia. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, uh-huh. But, um, 
which is itself a Gre Greco-Roman term, but yeah, it's just it's it seems like the settings really lend themselves more to an interesting interpretation of Norse mythology at times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And as for, I mean, who really knows much about Mesopotamian mythology these days? Probably not very many people. Exactly. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things you sort of have to be looking into. Yeah. yeah. I mean, most, most of the really oddball mythology that you find in RPGs seems to come from Megaten. It's true. Megaton, yeah. Megaton's yeah. Megaton really sort of built mythology into its DNA. Anything. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it even works its way into the main story, too. Depending on... Yeah. Depending on how old the game is and which sub-series it is. Yeah. yeah. They work in a lot of interesting stuff into that series. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, okay, I, I, how about this? Which mythologies would you like to see worked in? Egyptian. Um, because, like, at one point I ended up, I mean, when we were doing our RPG makeup stuff, Yeah. Back, I actually came up with a plot line for a either an RPG or a fantasy novel based on a Hawaiian myth that was pretty much an odyssey. Interesting. Style thing. I got it from, I have a book over here called... Um, Myths and Legends of Hawaii, and I just pulled some interesting stuff out of there, and it would probably make a pretty good RPG. That would be um, at the same time, if you wanted to do something similar to Valkyrie Profile, you could do something based on the, the Kali Yuga myth of how the world is supposed to end in Hinduism. Oh, that would that definitely um, yeah, that would be interesting. That sounds uh, like something uh, Megaten. An idea I came up with once was like it was basically essentially a, Meg, a Shin Megami Tensei game, very similar to Shin Megami Tensei One except set in Mexico City, and it was the uh, like counting down to the Aztec calendar apocalypse. Ah, that would be pretty cool. Oh, man. Yeah. With the big battle between order and chaos breaking out over Mexico City with the Aztec pantheon versus the West. And the Aztec mm. pantheon was using the incoming um, calendar date as a trigger to try and bring themselves back. Yeah. And um, what was, it? or um, we could go. I mean, oh, ha have you guys ever tried any of the biblically based RPGs or games in general? I don't think I ever. I don't think anyone really tries to localize that. But yeah, um, um, not, some, not some, some, of were, some of them were attempted to be produced by American companies too, and a lot of them fell flat there too, like Cactus. Yeah. But I was oh, wow. just thinking, um, if you look through like the Bible. And even skipping some of the really crazy stuff, Book of the Maccabees. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, that right there is a strategy. You know, you get, you get into biblical apocrypha can get really crazy. But... I mean, if you look at it, you've got you got the main character. His dad is a local rabbi who gets <laughs> executed by the Assyri um, by the Assyrian Greek soldiers, and he swears revenge. And it's a ten-year. Um, saga of counter-revolution and guerrilla warfare. You don't even have to fill much into that because wow. that could be yeah, that, that, really stringent history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, a, that is a strategy RPG story 
outline right there. Honestly, this sounds like a long-lost Tactic Ogre's plotline. <laughs> yes, yes. Tactics Ogre game. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you want to really, if you look around, you can find all sorts of interesting stuff. It's just you need to actually have the connections to make one of these games. Yeah. And I don't have any connections, unfortunately. Um, I think it's so. just I think it's just a good argument to, like, expand and your reference pools because there's a lot of amazing, like, things it's a story off of that just no one's really thought about. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it's probably just going with familiar things and familiar things to your audience. Like, obviously, uh, North, Norse mythology is pretty familiar, especially in the, the world of fantasy. And... Which is amazing considering how fragmentary the record is for yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, a lot yeah. of it never got written down before the North, uh, northern countries went um, Christian and started um, eliminating their own history. Yeah, and it's it's, and I think that might be part of why because it's really easy to just take fragments of and not feel completely out of place because, oh well, you know, there's kind of a scattered, vague history of what yeah. this might have resembled. But and that's, whereas, that's... whereas if you take the Rig Veda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this... There's lots to work with there, but there's almost too much to work with there. This is yeah. what, this is why I think uh the Egyptian mythos would be fun to play with as well. Oh yeah. I mean more than just a yeah. stereotypical exotic location for a Dragon Quest game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to play I need to play Slime Morimori Dragon Quest three so I can fight the demonic sphinx. Oh that's amazing. and and the demonic Statue of Liberty, and the demonic 50-story-tall Matryoshka doll. <laughs> In my pirate ship. I need uh, to buy this. I, I have it. I haven't played it yet, but I have that game. You should probably play it then, because if it's anything like the first two, the um, language barrier would be, in one of my reviews, minimal. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, the the localization of the second game had so many great puns. I really, really wish that someone had localized the third one. Yep. The Tootin' Schleiman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many great puns. Chrono Twigger. Chrono Twigger, yes! We always end on a sad note. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But on, on the plus side, I've actually considered writing out stories based on some of the, the plot ideas I sent you back then. Excellent. Yeah. So, well, I mean, eventually I'm going to do the... Do you remember the one where um, we were trying to invert a common trope? And so we yes. had, like, the ancient weapons from the past wars and making the weapons the main characters? Yes. And the and the squishy humans, the equipment? I remember I, I've, been, I've been plotting that one out. Um... <laughs> I, I've considered the, the Hawaiian-based story a couple times. I, I should probably try it again since Disney's actually doing a Hawaiian-based princess movie. I might try to cash in. There you go. Uh, <laughs> you don't be... And uh, what was another one? Oh, the the uh, humanitarian villain character. Do you remember that one? I do. I've, I've been con really considering working that's actually working an outline for that story sometime. I think I have a pretty good one. Um Instead of the main character being an amnesiac, the main character like remembers everything everything there is to know and doing something from there. 
Yeah, it'd be hard. Let's see, how would you do that without making the character just be too? Yeah, that's that would be the problem. But I think I think I think there's an idea to work from there. What or, it is exactly, I don't know. Or like, have him start like he's trying like a time travel thing. He goes back to the past to try and prevent a disaster. Except all of the things that he remembers, all this encyclopedic knowledge he has, yeah, starts coming up with errors. <laughs> and not not just little oh it could just be like it got lost in the details areas but major errors and he's trying to he's starting to freak out because it should not have happened this way and that could it's be really cool all of his plans yeah that could definitely be something cool for that matter did I ever send in the plot idea about like a, an atelier sequel for the DS I think you did. Yeah, I actually have that one written up. Oh, nice. At about, um, I can't remember the exact word count. Let's say uh, five fifty thousand words. I Damn. <laughs> let's let's open it up right now. I was gonna say though, I think maybe for a little Q and A contest, uh, I think people should send us in their ideas of uh, mythic. Specific mythological things that could be worked into an RPG, and see what people come up with. So yeah, send us in your ideas. There'd be a lot of neat things to come out of that. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Word count. Sixty-five thousand words. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, not finished. Not finished. No, not finished. I just had a good point to stop it and start something new. <laughs> Oh. Alright, well, I think we should probably start wrapping this up. Yep. yep I need to, ooh, yeah, I need to get to going to school soon. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's all for this week. Um, you can send us in your questions and your mythological ideas to uh, wheels at rpgamer.com. You can hit us on Twitter. I'm at AskWheels. Dave is fanboymaster. Mike is not on Twitter that I know of. Tweet, tweet. No. Smart man. No, no. <laughs> Smart I, man. Yeah. There are, there are to, there's a time and a place to be an early adopter, and then there's times where you should just wa wait and watch the chaos ensue. <laughs> this, is, this is also my philosophy concerning the Final Fantasy VII remake. I'm just going to sit back and that. watch. I'm going to that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be the one you're watching as I get very confused about everything that happens. In oh the no, race. I'm just talking about watching the flame wars. Oh yeah, oh, oh, those oh. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to get out my marshmallows and make s'mores. Oh, that's the be best fun. part <laughs> is the that monitor. the best part is that when the game finally comes, uh, the game will be uh, the original will be over 20 years old and in the perfect state where many of the people who played it, so many of them, will not remember very much about it, but they will remember that they liked it better than they like it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Oh. Nostalgia is a powerful and dangerous force, people. Don't, don't get high on your own supply. Yep. Final Fantasy Legend 2. Yes. And again, if anybody wants a boxed copy, uh, send, let's see, let's make this $20. I've got a, I've got a PayPal account. Just email me. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh. Alright, that is all for this week's fo- folks. Send us, in, send us in some questions. Uh, send us in your mythology stuff. I'm going to try and turn it into some sort of contest. And yeah, that's about it. Play Legend of Legacy demo. Give mm-hmm. it a chance. Play Legend, buy Legend of Legacy if you can. Yes, and I will have a review up for it hopefully around the end of the month or so, whenever I finish it. Uh, But yeah, so far so good. So, yep, that's it. See you next time, folks.